Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. Uh, this is our weekly Week in Review, Just Ask the Press program, and we want to thank Good Pods. We are now one of the top uh, 30 rated uh, podcasts. So uh, thanks for joining us. With me, as always, is uh, <clears throat> White House, well, former White House correspondent and editor-at-large CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, and former federal prosecutor, Michael Zeldin. And unpacking a lot this week, <laughs> when, when haven't we had a lot to unpack during the last few years? But this week in particular, we'll take a look at, uh, uh, well, the knockdown dragout fights almost in Congress. Uh, Joe Biden went to San Francisco to meet the president of China and promptly called him a dictator once again. Uh, there, there's updates in the criminal, uh, the Trump criminal court proceedings. George Santos bites the dust. The incredible, curious Michael Johnson. No checkbook, but plenty of contributions. And he got to deal with the Democrats. Is he in trouble? And finally, Trump claims all cases are tossed out of court after Colorado says he's on the ballot. So we got a lot of fun to unpack. Stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me, as always, for our weekend review of the news of the week is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And we're going to start out this morning's proceedings with what else? Maybe knock-down, drag-out fights in uh, Washington, D.C. in Congress. And I, I want to frame this a little bit. Um, I, I was at the White House when some of this was going on, and... Um, about the time Joe Biden was being gracefully introduced on Tuesday by a ninth grader he described as a future president to talk about climate change, Representative Tim Burchett, a Tennessee Republican, accused former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy of elbowing him in the kidneys while Burchett was talking to a reporter. Matt Gates, who's still sore that McCarthy hadn't shut down the invest ethics investigation into him, filed an ethics investigation on McCarthy. Go ahead, you can say it. The ninth grader displayed more maturity than the duly elected members of Congress. And if you think that's bad, while Biden was on his way to San Francisco to meet with President Xi Jinping and talk about peaceful coexistence with China, <clears throat> the Senate, Mark Wayne Mullen, a guy with two first names, 
An Oklahoma Republican challenged the head of the Teamsters Union to a physical fight in the hearing meant to showcase how labor unions are making families' lives better. Senator Bernie Sanders, the committee chair, broke it up by reminding Mullen he was a U.S. senator. Sit down, sit down. So there's a lot of anger that went on this week. And uh, we'll start with you, John. Were you surprised by any of it? Yes and no. This felt different this week, didn't it? I mean, we've seen... We've seen dust-ups over the years. We've seen um, a lot of passion on on the floor of the House, especially. Uh, the Senate is a bit more um, genteel, as we Southern gentlemen might say. <laughs> um, so the House can get a little rowdy. It was designed that way. It was designed to be, by the founders, the cup of hot tea, and the Senate was supposed to be the saucer on which you 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 calmed everything down and had a nice uh, uh, conversation. That's not the house, but this week was different. Um, I mean, it just it just felt. Now, one thing that needs to be stated, especially about the house, they have been in session for ten consecutive weeks, and that included ousting Kevin McCarthy. And then all the bitterness from that uh, didn't go anywhere. They didn't really, you know, they went home for a, a day or two extra after that, but. They, they were right back at it uh, the next Monday night. So they've been here for a while and they have all these deadlines and, you know, you have a, a very righteous group of conservatives who are blocking, you know, all these spending bills and, and other legislation um, over their righteous feelings about their conservative stances on policies and, and, and federal spending, which they support no new money for anything, basically. So, um, you ju- you have this powder keg situation. They're sick of each other. I wrote this um, in my in my newsletter uh, this week, and I've said this for years. They're tired. They're sick of each other. They just want to go home. And I'll add, they don't agree on very much. And this is what's different about the house. And this is why um, this wow. was different this week. Is the Republicans don't agree with the Republicans. <laughs> they can't pass anything amongst themselves right now. And, so you and let, these deep divides, you have the McCarthy branch, even if they voted for Mike Johnson or Jim Jordan or Humpty Dumpty on the House floor to be speaker, they still have loyalty to McCarthy. And they're still, I'm, I'm not going to mince words, they're still really pissed off about how all that went down and what happened. And then they disagree on this policy or that, or I'm the chairman of this subcommittee that worked on the criminal justice appropriations bill we can't even pass that uh, because the conservatives object to something that my subcommittee worked on and i'm still mad at you because you helped alice mccarthy so let's throw down in the cannon office building at five o'clock but yeah and all of this really come on the the ethics investigation everything by this is gates this is a personal thing he's he got it he doesn't like mccarthy okay, okay he doesn't like mccarthy and it could be personal but if Kevin's actions were personal, but listen, but listen, yeah. yes, his action might've been personal, but if Kevin McCarthy threw a kidney punch at a sitting member of Congress, there's a strong argument that the ethics committee should look into that and yeah. maybe should uh, at least uh, recommend reprimanding Mr. McCarthy. Listen, have I ever thrown a kidney punch? I have an older brother and I played high school football. So Yeah. Maybe, but not in the halls of Congress. It's it's in Michael. It's 
It's a great place to get somebody from outside the bubble to to jump in. What do you think? When you, <laughs> but John, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but let Michael, me, let, let me let me understand the context for how this could be happening. These poor guys paid what's their salary again? Yeah. 170 something thousand. Yeah. Worked for 10 weeks in a row. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Yeah. 10, 10 weeks. Jeez. <laughs> I, 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 if I That's had to boy. work in my life 10 weeks in a row, I'd probably be hospitalized in a <laughs> mental institution. I mean, for God's sakes, for God's sakes, they're complaining that the pressure of working for 10 weeks in a row, that which every working person in America does year in and year out, is too much for them to handle. Maybe it's time to get a new job. You know, <laughs> if, if if 10 weeks in a row is going to lead to kidney punches um, and threatened fistfights with the head of the Teamster Union, how stupid can that be? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, these guys, there are too many people who are in the wrong job. And yeah. I say that sitting mm. in my childhood home in Great Neck, New York, where the congressman who represents my mom who lives here is George Santos. So, <laughs> so you know what you're talking about, in other words. <laughs> it's, it's, it's inexplicable. You know, these guys need to be sent to the principal's office and um, given detention or something because that's what you do when adolescents behave this way. Yeah, that's... Ten, I, I ten like, weeks. Ten weeks. There's no principle. That's part of the problem. There's no. Well, principle. yeah, there is no principle, but and they have no principles. But they they have no principle and they have no principles. But you know, to to your point, it was something I uh, when I was talking with Eric Swalwell um, not too long ago. One of the things that he pointed out, he goes, Brian, just imagine. He said some of these people couldn't get a job anywhere else. This is this is it. And if I can't. If I can't do better, I'll find a job somewhere else and I'll be fine. Well, I, I think the problem is you have people in Congress that honestly, if they can't work 10 weeks in a row, where could they work? Uh, the Teamsters? I, I mean, I, most most of us come to play. Be careful. Most of us have a low-level panic attack when we want to ask for a, a random Friday off. Right. That's <laughs> after working after working forty weeks. Yeah, exactly. after working right. forty weeks. So speaking of working, <laughs> I want to. Can I add one yeah. quick thing yeah. to this, Brian? Sure. Um, there was some reporting on this, um, but you know, I'm planning to go deeper in in a column uh, for Wednesday for RollCall.com. You know this. What what happened in, in the House and the Senate, and there was some very tense floor debate on some of these spending bills before they got pulled or before the, and before the rule got shot down, conservatives joining the Democrats uh, once again. There was some really aggressive floor debate this week, and uh, we had a couple stories on CQ.com about that. So, but, you know, we tried to rack our brain, a colleague and myself, about, you know, Democrats are, they're involved in some of these floor debates and things get you know, like I said, rowdy and and was more aggressive. But for the most part, this is on the Republican side. And I just don't think you can decouple 
the this fighting mood, as I described it in my newsletter this week, they're just in a fighting mood right now. And I don't think you can decouple that from from some of Donald Trump, Donald Trump's rhetoric. Yeah. And there is this sense that fighting is okay, that violence is is okay. Normalizing it, if not normalizing it, just kind of desensitizing everyone to that notion. And I think that is seeping into the rest of the party. And there's no evidence or no reason to think that Trump isn't going to continue some of this rhetoric that we've heard and seen on his social media site. Yeah. Um, so that's why this felt different is then when you add Trump and, and that's only going to intensify as his trials um, really get, you know, really get started. Um, right. The Republicans are in a very, very precarious position here. And, you know, what happens when when Kevin McCarthy and, and one of the Gates eight, what if it's Gates himself? What if they get in a fist fight and, you know, they come out of I'll HC5? sell tickets. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when there's a real fist fight? Yeah. Um, coming out of the House Republican conference meeting in, in that tiny hallway in HC5 and reporters get mixed up in it because you can stand about two and a half people wide in that hallway. There are cameras and and all kinds of things, staffers and, and lawmakers. So, you know, this could get ugly really fast, especially given that's where they meet every week and that's where they yell at each other a lot. And then they come out and then we stand there and watch them. Uh, so, yeah, that, I I agree. Before we get to I do want to get to Trump's trials and tribulations. But before we go there, the last thing I want to kind of talk about before the break is we, we well, first of all, uh, George Santos, uh, Michael, is gone. So your mother uh, it ha has much to look forward to, I guess. Um, and we also have the incredibly uh, curious, curious Michael Johnson. He says he's got no check book but plenty of contributions he got to deal with the democrats over the budget is he in trouble i mean that's what got mccarthy in trouble was and and let's be honest johnson got more democrats to vote for him in his uh particular piece of legislation than mccarthy and there's talk about how they, they screwed up the uh um the the stepped up cr the the two-tiered cr and Included things in the second one they didn't want to, and we can go over all of that. But let's start out with with uh, with the um, with the fact that he is the incredible, curious Michael Johnson is uh, cut a deal, and I guess from the outside looking in, is he in trouble? Michael, what do you think? Is he in trouble where you live, <laughs> where your mom well, is? Well, look, I mean, to everybody's credit, they gave him a bit of a honeymoon period. Uh, to address a problem that has been long simmering. And so he took um, a pause and, and the Democrats helped him pass this. And we will see come January and then the second tier, February, March, whenever that is, um, whether or not the Democrats give him a second honeymoon or whether he's going to have to suffer the fact that 90 or so members of his own party voted against him. Um, and if the Democrats don't bail him out, he may well suffer the same fate as his predecessors, which is that he can't control his uh, caucus and they refuse to govern and he may lose his job and they may lose their majority. John? Well, it's... 
he cut a deal here and it's not yet clear if he's in trouble. It's not yet clear that he screwed up with, with this laddered um, continuing resolution arrangement in which some uh, federal agencies are funded through January 19th. A handful of others are funded through February 2nd. Right. Um, Isn't that so, where they dumped Ukrainian and Israeli aid? Or no. There's no Ukraine and yeah. Israel aid. It's just a continuing yeah. resolution. So they still have to to to, to figure that out um, in in December and January and February. Um, as of right now, there is no Ukraine Israel aid bill. The Senate has not introduced their own version. So there's no aid bill as we sit here right now. There's the one the House passed, right. uh, but Schumer Schumer said that was dead on arrival, and um, the White House said. Biden wouldn't wouldn't sign that. So there is no Israel aid bill right now. The the debate is around this laddered CR, which, you know, in one breath, it does it is it is bizarre and it is it is very unorthodox. Um, and number two, they needed to pass something and they needed to leave before there was a brawl in 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 the house. They they, they needed to go. <laughs> so I think Johnson did sense that he he seems to have a bit of a a better sense of the conference than than McCarthy did, especially uh, near the end. But look, whether he can do this again is the question. The conservatives, you know, they didn't have to vote for this because Democrats uh, supplied, you know, the far vote. and above the right. the votes to pass this this CR, which the Democrats didn't like. They didn't like the laddered approach, the two tiered approach. But can Johnson do it again? What happens on January seventeenth when? You know, maybe they've settled, excuse me, they've settled 50% of the bills that are in the first tranche that need to be extended or funded for the rest of the fiscal year on January 19th. You know, there's the 72 hour rule. Is he going to, is he then going to put up another CR for those remaining in the first tranche? And then this gets really confusing. And then three weeks later, two weeks later, on on uh, on February second, what if they've got the defense appropriations bill ready to go, but then the others aren't? Is he going to put a fourth CR, clean, no cuts, and expect to keep his job because they did not raise the threshold to vacate the chair? Like there was all this bipartisan support, and everyone's writing stories that they're going to do that, but they didn't do it. So right, one of the conservatives can still trigger a vote, and. I, I don't Democrats have no loyalties to Mike Johnson. So, you know, they're going to vote for Akeem Jeffries if there's another speaker vote on the floor and they're going to keep voting for Akeem Jeffries. And all it takes is one conservative to get, you know, angry enough or or sense that what's coming is what's called an omnibus spending bill is when they put, you know, all 12 appropriations bills in one package, maybe slap on some Ukraine and Israel aid and and try to shove it through both chambers in two days conservatives hate those things if they sense that's what's coming if that's all johnson can get for the remainder of the fiscal year then someone may put down a motion again to vacate the chair and we do it all over again and and, we're not there yet we're not we might be there early february late january well Will we be there without George Santos? That's the question. (laughs) Michael, (laughs) you're sitting in Great Neck, New York. How do you feel about that? About George Santos? Yeah. So he's not going to run for re-election after the 
report came out, but you, you think they'll expel him before then? I think it's going to depend on the same type of questions that was asked previously, which is, do you need a judicial finding of guilt to merit expulsion? Or now that there is the uh, record from the committee that investigated this, was that enough of a um, due process um, process for him to be, uh, you know, for the people like Jamie Raskin who voted not to um, eject him from the House enough to say now enough's enough. We had a long hearing where witnesses were called and presumably Santos had a chance to present his side of the story and due process was followed and the recommendation is for expulsion and he may get expelled. The Republicans in New York seem to want it um, because somehow they think that they'll be able to run back in their mostly blue districts to say, you see, I'm a principled Republican. I voted to expel George Santos, so reelect me. I think there's a cynical gambit here going on by these New York Republicans, and we'll see how that plays out for them uh, politically. I, I think it sucks if that's a legal term that I'm allowed to use. Well, you're the lawyer. You tell us. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a term of art. Yeah, yeah that's, there you go, John. Because I mean, just 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 to, just to fill the, the thing out, it's the guy is is doesn't didn't merit being elected and doesn't merit um being there but you know you've got him you got mark wayne mullen you've got a whole host of characters you got menendez i mean this place is not um an unwelcoming uh forum for these types of 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 characters you know he's not a, he's not uh an isolate there are there are others who you know have sort of checkered pasts that are there too. So you know, yeah. I, I, I don't know how That's... you how you how you do it. Although, so I don't know. It's a rambling answer to say whether they expel him now or he expels himself or gets expelled by the voters. You know, or he's not running again, so he has been expelled by prospective voters. I, I don't really care. It's <laughs> you know, he well, he, he is. Um, going to be forgotten very quickly, except that he'll spend his uh, formative years in jail. Because that's, that's where that's where he's likely headed. John? I don't think there's much incentive for Republicans to to, to vote to keep this guy around much longer. Um, it, it tells me the chairman of the committee, uh, the ethics committee, is a Republican, and yeah. he's the one who's introduced this motion to expel uh, Mr. Santos. I don't think it, I don't think any of that happens unless, as Michael was alluding to, they've they've quietly unofficially whipped this thing and taken the temperature of the conference and 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 think that they have a shot in the special election that would be triggered um, to win the seat and then keep it. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of calculations going on here on the Republican side. I just don't think you have the Republican chair of the Ethics Committee. Um, introducing a resolution to kick out a Republican member if uh, they didn't feel pretty confident. And they number two, it. that they could do it, hold, and at least be competitive to, to, to keep the seat down the road. And and also this notion that 
this the, the feeling that this guy's a ticking time bomb and he's he's long term bad uh for us to keep him around and we want to win we we have other races that we want to win like michael was alluding to those the the biden 18 as they're called they won districts in 2022 purple districts that biden won in 2020 they have to think hard about that because that's the key to keeping the majority it's not it's not that one seat that santos is in it's those it's the biden 18 and a few others all i can th- think about it when i think about it is this imagine a party so absent of any type of uh i don't know maturity professionalism that they have lauren bobert marjorie taylor green jim jordan gomer comer and and the guy that everyone says is so bad that you have to get rid of is george santos how damn bad must that be? Because that's, I mean, you're swim as Michael pointed out, you're already swimming in a sea of sewage. It's like pointing out the the worst turd in the punch bowl. I I I honestly don't know. I mean, he'll be gone at the end of this term. So I don't know how effective he can be while there. So I don't know that it matters one way or another, but getting rid of him is a calculated uh political move. So yeah, uh, it's very cynical. Yeah. I think it's, it, 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 you just can't believe for a second that this is being done for the principle of the matter. No, <laughs> well, since they have no principle, it doesn't matter. That's <laughs> which is what it boils down to. So on that wonderful note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back talking about unprincipled matters, we'll talk about Donald Trump. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen, with our weekly uh, news and review show, Just Ask the Press. And as always with us is former editor, uh, I'm sorry, not former, former White House correspondent, current editor at large at CQ Roll Call, John, John Bennett. John's shaking his head. Yeah, I can't keep it straight. And former federal prosecutor, Michael Zeldin. When we left, we were talking about the incredibly untalented and unprincipled uh, George Santos. Now let's talk about the incredibly untalented and criminal proceedings with Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump sent out an email earlier this week that uh, actually I got it again this morning that all cases are tossed out of court after Colorado says he's on the ballot. That's not exactly what happened, but there are those who believe that trying to remove Donald Trump from the ballot was a bad move to begin with. Let him be on the ballot and be defeated that way. Michael, is is there any uh, – what is the political and the legal ramifications of what Colorado has done? The great question. The Colorado 
court found that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection, which you would say, therefore, Article Section 3 of um, the 14th Amendment, which precludes people who have engaged in insurrection or given comfort or uh, aid to insurrectionists would be precluded from being on the ballot. So that was the first step and fundamental step. However, the judge went on to say that the unique language of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which says you have to swear an oath to support the Constitution, is not a word found in the presidential oath. They're just there to defend the Constitution. And she said, or he said, I forget, the, the judge said that um, because the Constitution says support and the oath the president took, unlike cabinet members or military people, doesn't contain the word support, that on that technical note, she's going to allow him to stay on the ballot. So he's on the ballot, having been found by a judge to have engaged in or supported insurrection, but because of her interpretation of the word support, he's um, allowed to, to be on the Colorado ballot. And that's going to be appealed, uh, as are the decisions in New Hampshire, Minnesota, and Michigan. All of those courts also found that he can be on the ballot, dismissing the um, efforts to keep him off the ballot. And we will see whether or not the courts of how the courts of appeals rule on these things. The Colorado one is the most interesting, probably because there was a full hearing. Witnesses were called both um, for um, excluding and against excluding. There was a finding that he engaged in insurrection, so he met that threshold language of the 14th Amendment. And now a court of appeals is going to say, well, is the judge right that his language was, you know, insurrectionist in its in its tone? And was she right that unless you have a oath that uses the exact word support, uh, you can't violate the 14th Amendment? And and we'll see. I mean, it's. It's interesting for a court of appeals because now there's a factual record that has been established right. at a lower court level. And the question is, what credit what credit do they give to that um, record? And do they feel in some way bound by the record and therefore will mostly address the question of the oath? So it's he he's right, Trump, to say that as of now, he has won at this um, first stage all four of these cases, and he is on the ballot. And we'll see how it plays out, especially Colorado, as I say, on appeal. But frankly, and I said this um, on CNN Max uh, last week, I don't particularly like these lawsuits. I don't like the notion that whether someone is uh, eligible to be on the ballot or not, and can be elected is not left to voters as as opposed to appointed um, judges. So I, I sort of prefer, let them be on the ballots. Let's see how um, it shakes out in 2024. This notion of excluding him is something that I just don't, I don't like. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. John, what's your... I mean, he's crowing about it. Donald Trump is certainly crowing about the fact that he's 
beaten the courts again. He's, you know, running a role. He's the man. Uh, you think that plays and anybody cares? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you mean, you mean Donald Trump is crowing and um, <laughs> twisting something to his preferred narrative? Yeah, I know it's odd, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> not on brand, is it? Well, I, you know, I does this. How much does this matter? I, I don't. I don't think. You know, I this was a long shot attempt to keep him off the ballot in some places, and it looks like it's gonna. It's not gonna work, and um, it it doesn't change the fundamental. Excuse me, the fundamental calculus here. Um, that what what are we going to do? Uh, if someone who's facing 91 felony charges does not beat all 91 charges and whoever has, and what do we do if he's elected president and, and already convicted or about to be convicted or has been convicted and is awaiting sentencing, you know, two days before inauguration day, uh, what, what do we do? And, and who's thinking about that and, and who's, who's got the credibility to put something out there that the other side would would think is legally viable. And George I, Santos. That's the answer to your question. <laughs> a legal scholar among many other things, Mr. Well, Correct. He was on the Supreme Court before he stepped down to run for Congress, right? I, <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. So I mean I don't I don't think this changes very much. Um it 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 gives him something to, you know, try to raise money on, which is which is Trump's you know, if it's not objective one, it's objective one A or one B. Right. So, you know, this doesn't change that fundamental, the fundamental problem facing the country. Uh, what, what do we do on uh, the day after election day if if this guy's, you know, looks like he's going to be convicted in multiple cases? What do we do when, you know, if what if 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 he's about to be sworn in in the Georgia case, uh, as the DA said, uh, I believe was it last week or the week before that that case is probably going to go into 2025. You know, what do we do then? Yeah. We, it's it's going to be time very soon for these for very serious but credible legal analyses to start emerging because all indications are he's going to be the nominee and it's going to be very close in those six or eight states that I talk about until I'm even more red in the face. Well, yeah. and to that point, John, that you, you raised, there was a recent... Um, survey out that says 70% of 18 to 34 year olds disapprove of Biden's handling of the mm -hmm. war between Israel and Hamas. And that's a critical part of right. the Biden coalition. I mean, what brought him over the top of you asked John Della Volpe, the uh, pollster at Harvard for young voting, the 18 mm -hmm. to 34 year olds really were key in um, the past couple of elections. And if they don't show up in force for Biden and if he's hemorrhaging some uh, other uh, <clears throat> classes of people, Hispanics, some blacks, some obviously Palestinian, um, some. It's hard to see where he puts the coalition, how he puts the coalition back together. That's right. Well, and, and I'll be interested. I, I mean. I look, I, I've read articles where people are upset with Trump, his revenge tour, and what even some of his supporters are a little aghast at the ideas that he's going to have coming into uh, office for a second time, going after people that he doesn't like, et cetera, so on. But I don't think enough of that is around to force people to look away from Donald Trump. But it's 
the re very real actions with lives at stake and people being seen killed that is hurting uh, Joe Biden. So I don't know that anything that Donald Trump can do will surprise his supporters enough to get them to step away from him. I guess the question is, if it is Biden versus Trump, will there be debates? And what will be the nature of that conversation? Because if the if the conversation is Donald Trump being asked to explain what he's saying now, which is when he comes back in, he's essentially going to impose martial law, round up people, vermin, as he used it. I mean, and, yeah. and to look at his to look at that that speech compared to some of Hitler's um, speech, you'll see these are word for word yeah. copies of one another. I mean, I I've never used comparisons between Trump and organized crime or Trump and and Hitler. I not like them at all. But that last speech that he gave is literally words out of Hitler's mouth. And so yeah. if he's going to start now having to campaign against Joe Biden and Joe Biden is going to be pointing out that this guy is using the rhetoric of Adolf Hitler to round up the vermin who are his opponents, how do people respond to that? And do they walk over to Robert Kennedy? Do they walk over to Jill Stein? Do they not vote? Do they hold their nose in their view and vote for Joe Biden? It's so hard to um, calculate how this plays out in at this point in time. And we have to see what Joe Manchin does, the retiring senator from yeah. West Virginia, who's as always, uh, allowing us all to think that he might uh, get in the presidential race um, in his never-ending quest for attention. Yeah, and and I, I, Joe Manchin reminds me of the you know of the old style burlesque queen. You think you think they're going to show something, but they don't. He's just there to tease you, and I I just can't think that Joe Manchin will mount much of a. I I think much more uh, serious would be the uh, Kennedy. Um, challenge, but we'll have to wait. And you, and you know about these um, burlesque queens from your readings, right, Brian? From extensive historic readings. That's... Yeah, I just want to make just want the audience to know, yeah, you know, that's... where where you derive your 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 that's... your knowledge. Not that I've ever seen a burlesque show, but in, no. since in the last few years. Uh, anyway, so. <laughs> But with that being said, one of the other things that Donald Trump is still facing are his problems in criminal court. And Michael, I'll, I'll let you un, unravel some of that, where, where we're at. And uh, well, I mean, I guess we could also talk about civil court in New York, but he's in New York and Florida and two in D.C. and away we go. That's all. You yeah. Know. So the 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 biggest immediate issue is on Monday. Tomorrow. Yes. And then later in November, there are going to be hearings on the gag orders that the judges in New York civil action and Judge Chutkin in the January 6th action have uh, imposed against Trump. And it's really sort of a very interesting proposition. My view is not a popular one, which is I think that the 
gag orders are overbroad and that they infringe on Trump's First Amendment rights and that the judges need to make them more tailored so that it's understandable what it is that can be said and can't be said. The case that governs this in some large measure is a case called Brandenburg versus Ohio. Brandenburg was a um, Ku Klux Klanman who said some horrible things and was prosecuted for incitement um, from uh, in Ohio and was convicted. And the Supreme Court ultimately takes the case. And they said in that case that the First Amendment makes clear that a person is protected unless they incite imminent lawless action. And that word imminent is important. And they argued, the court did in this decision, that it, it would be a, a serious threat to sort of democracy to be able to stifle speech that was just sort of vitriolic, but which didn't threaten imminent lawless action. And I think that these um, gag orders are overbroad. They they talk in terms of Donald Trump not being allowed to target the special counsel, defense counsel, or any of the, the staff um, or reasonably foreseeable witness. So if you're Donald Trump and you see an order that says you not you cannot target them, how do you know whether if you say this prosecutor is a political hack. Right. Is that targeting? I mean, Bill Clinton said that about Ken Starr. Richard Nixon right. said that about Leon Jaworski and Archibald Cox. Neither of them were gagged or, or prosecuted. If Donald Trump says that, is he going to get fined? Is he going to get his um, uh, bail uh, revoked? It's just, for me, too nebulous. And, you know, as offensive as Trump's language is, I sort of fall on the side of uh, the First Amendment. And Brian, you and John would understand this perhaps in the context of New York Times versus Sullivan and the prior yes. restraint case law, where you can't easily have a prior restraint on on speech without violating the First Amendment. This, I think, analogizes to that as well. So that's the biggest thing that's 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 going on on the immediate legal horizon with the oral arguments on Monday. In terms of the, the cases, they're in the middle of the Letitia James uh, civil case. Trump's defense does not seem to be uh, very good. Uh, he's got witnesses on the stand who on cross-examination have been admitting to um, not knowing things or overlooking things. And this notion that valuations is just subjective and it could be anything you want doesn't seem to be flying very well. In the January 6th case, they're just moving along um, toward a probable uh, trial date. And Mar-a-Lago is anyone's guess because the judge there seems, while she said She's not moving the trial date. She did move the internal dates of when motions are due, when the Classified Information Procedures Act 
procedures for um, classified document reviews need to take place. So it seems like she's inching toward um, continuing the, that trial date. And you know, as we've talked about before in this show, that uh, Mar-a-Lago documents obstruction of justice case seems the strongest of the cases or the most easily prosecuted once you get over the what classified documents can and can't be introduced. And so delaying that is, you know, a, would be a big to after the election would be a big, a big victory. And Brian, one thing, uh, I don't mean to be filibustering, but to the questions yeah. that John and you raised of what happens next, what's so unclear here is if these cases are still ongoing or, a, right. or have yet to begin, if Donald Trump wins re-election and fires the special counsel, what will be the reaction there? Will we just say, oh, well, that's Trump being Trump and let's get on with the rest of our lives? Or will that trigger an Archibald Cox sort of Saturday night massacre response? And I don't I don't know how that plays out. I don't know. I don't either. If he, yeah. If he gets if he gets elected and he says that does it, we're on the eve of trial. Um, and I'm firing the special counsel and ordering the Justice Department not to proceed with these prosecutions. How, how does that play out? Similarly, in Georgia, if that case is ongoing or about to begin, does the, I don't know who, governor of, of uh, Georgia say, you know, now that he's president, we should stand down about bringing a case against the president because of those o o OLC uh, opinions that say you're not supposed to indict or, uh, or bring legal action against the sitting president. All of this stuff is not knowable at, at the moment. Well, and it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Hopefully we never get to that point. Well, I Hopefully hope these cases are, are over before before uh, the presidential election, but it's not looking like all of these three that we've just discussed will be. Yeah, and and John, I want you to hop in here, but I have one question, uh, two questions, and one real quick comment. My my concern, Michael, is that um, the type of the type of attitude that we saw in the United States in the 70s is not what we're seeing in 2023. And my fear is there are plenty of people who will look at even Donald Trump's latest speech referring to Adolf Hitler and go, you know, Hitler wasn't such a bad guy. I mean, those are the types of people that I think follow Donald Trump. They they will excuse his any behavior and go, look, all right, so so Donald Trump quoted Hitler, you know, big deal. And I, I think they'll just dismiss it. But my my question for you is um well in fact to that to that point wasn't there reporting recently about um sort of taking a benign view of uh, Osama bin Laden's letter yeah. on TikTok so yeah. you know that's it's happening you know why In real not time, yeah. why not mind conf yeah yeah that's it um then 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 my two quite all right in the Letitia James case i mean Clear this up for me as I understand the law, and, and and I'm not a lawyer, but he, his children said, look, they didn't have anything to do with evaluation. That was on dad. He said, yeah, that's pretty, Trump said yes. Uh, and he admits that he signed the paper. 
I mean, he signed the value. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I'm sure that's why we have the summary judgment, but it's it doesn't seem to me that that case has much chance for Donald Trump to be successful at all. And then in the First Amendment uh, stuff, I agree with you on on in in principle on the idea of block whatever Donald Trump skates by because he's always surreptitious and obscure on what he says. So we may know damn well. It's like Michael Cohen said, he, he talks like a mob boss. You know what he means, even when he doesn't say it. We know what Donald Trump wants, but the fact of the matter is he's very good about not stepping over that line in, in free speech or he's he's used to skating it or walking right up to the edge. Uh, Michael, the one question uh, to you, I mean, it's it's uh, he signed that thing in New York. Right. So, I mean, we're just talking about money. That's that's all that is. There are two things going on in New York. One is the judge has found there are three things going on. Okay. One, the judge has found. Uh, that Trump engaged in a pattern of, of of fraud in the way he evaluated things, and that allowed the judge to issue a summary judgment order, meaning that legal question of did he or didn't he engage in fraud has been solved. The court looks at right. all of the evidence that has come before it and says Trump loses. We don't need to have a trial on this. Second thing is there are six counts that he didn't rule on. And so this trial is about those six counts, too, that they have to find liability or not liability on those six counts. Those are like false statements and conspiracy to submit false statements. And then they have to issue a penalty. What amount of money should be uh, appropriate for this behavior? So those three things are going on. And then, of course, once all that is done, there'll be immediate appeals and there'll be appeals of should the summary judgment have been issued or not issued? That's going to be the most important issue. And then the question of what penalty is um, meted out, was that appropriate to the um, conduct uh, at on on trial? Okay. So that's what's going on there. And they uh-huh. say that'll be over by the middle of December, the trial will. Brother John. I, yeah, I, I think Michael covered all that ground there. I, I I think we're getting to the point. I always say this about Congress when once or three times a year they're debating something that might have a chance of becoming law and they debate and debate and debate. Um, it's just time to go vote. And, you know, we're getting to the point I'm feeling like with these Trump trials, it, it's time to go to trial. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that if he's reelected that we'll get any of them except yeah. Georgia. <laughs> and the, the the other thing is, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, one of you said, sorry, I lost my train of thought. One of you said that the, uh, the I think it was Michael said the, the Florida classified documents case seems to be the most open and, and shut. Yeah. I've always thought that Georgia case is pretty open and shut because Donald Trump is A, on tape, and B, has admitted doing most of it. His argument is that uh, the law is illegal or or he had the right to do it under presidential powers or or something like that. So um, if combining the, if the those, president thought, does it, it's not illegal. <laughs> now we're back to Richard Milhouse yeah. Nixon, aren't we? Um, yeah. So 
so Michael's right that 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 case seems open and shut. I'll add that I think the Georgia case is pretty open and shut. Um, the D.C. case probably is, too. But the 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 um, the wild card here is, is, Brian, what you said, this guy has skated his entire adult life because he how he talks and it's vague. And well, I wasn't really involved in that. And yeah. well, that was Weisselberg or or that was Michael Cohen or or that was. Um, you know, some random Republican lawmaker to be named later who he might throw under the bus in the George January. Santos. He's already on his way yeah. out, though. Right. <laughs> no Georgie boy. Yeah. So, you know, while these things look open and shut, he's 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 Teflon. He gets he's like that quarterback who shouldn't be a running quarterback, but somehow eludes the pass rush and picks up the first down and then picks up the next one and then a shovel pass. And boy, we got our drive going now, don't we? Yeah, yeah but be careful, Aaron Rodgers. You're going to pop your Achilles heel. That's where I Well, think. I think Brett Favre might be, uh, if you know what I mean, <laughs> Brett Favre might be the better comp. Yeah, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't get his uh, vaccine either. <laughs> well, Trump, Trump, Trump got the vaccine before anyone. Yeah, that's it. It's several of them. I think he doubled up. <laughs> well, but, he uh, got that Remeron. He got the, not the Remeron, whatever it is, that cocktail. Yeah. Um, which now, my mom, I'm up here in New York in part because my mom is still sort of recovering from COVID. And she got the, that same drip uh, that it saved her life and it saves it saved Trump's life. Because I, I watched my mom's blood oxygen levels uh, drop precipitously. Um, and uh, that stuff saved her at age 97. Uh, and it saved Trump. And the shame about the Trump presidency is that he didn't say, I helped create this, which he did, um, by clearing a lot of administrative hurdles and bureauc bureaucratic hurdles so that these companies could go full bore at a um, vaccine that he didn't say this is the Trump vaccine and everyone should get it and that'll that'll make everybody safe and I will be you know the savior why he didn't do that is beyond me that may well, have gotten him reelected didn't believe it because his supporters well, but his well, sort of supporters didn't believe it in large measure because he told them not to believe it because he thought that they withheld approval of the vaccine until after the election uh, in, a, in a cynical political move to punish him. And so therefore he was gonna get back at everybody else by saying, don't take this. And he well, could have taken credit for it. I think it was a cynical political move on his part to do that because he knew how his constituents, the ones who voted for him, the Trumpers felt and played that cynical. I, I think that was his mistake. He yeah, well, I know. there's a there's a chicken and egg here. Who yeah, who drove yeah, it? Yeah, but and and we're way off we're way off topic. I'm sorry. Well, for yeah, that. that's all right. Well, we're gonna <laughs> well we're gonna take a short break again, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about the uh, the week that was in San Francisco. So stick around. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. 
Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and joining us for our weekend, our weekly wrap-up of the news of the week is uh, John Bennett, editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And we can't leave this week without talking about some of the big, you know, look, there's still the war going on in the Middle East. Uh, we seem to have negotiated a chance of hostages coming home. I know we loathe to talk about that situation uh, because it's it's so com- it's more nuanced than even an hour. We could do an hour on just that. But while Donald Trump is screaming, while George Santos is losing, while the uh, the house is burning down, this week Joe Biden had to deal with uh, the continuing problems in the Middle East. He answered a few questions about it. Uh, I was there for him and helped ask a couple of them in uh, the South Court Auditorium about the problems in the Middle East. But he also went to uh, San Francisco where he met with uh, President uh, Xi Jinping. And there wasn't a whole lot of hope there, John, was there? I mean, it, we he just, it sounded like, and, and look, I was there when he, when, when we, you know, and it sounded like, I, I think it was Kelly O'Donnell from NBC who asked him, and he, he goes, look, I really just want him to pick up the phone and answer a call. And it sounded like a jilted, you know, uh, friend. Like, you know, he, I know he's known him for a while, but at the end of the day, uh, they came out of it with some kind of understanding. Were you surprised with any of it, John? Or do you think it went far enough or you think it did? And then, of course, we have to address the fact that at the end of that uh, press conference, short that it was, and we could always talk about that, um, that again he called she a, a, a dictator all yours john unravel it's always hard to tell when the chinese are the other party involved in something like this uh, by the end of his presidency barack obama who who tried you know really hard with with chinese officials he was he was fed up by the end of his presidency uh, Donald Trump, you know, you could argue that Trump got played by Xi uh, time and again, um, but Donald Trump never, at least publicly, and, and what I think you and I were both told, Brian, at the time was uh, Trump still believed that that he could get Xi to do things. At the end of the day, they, they did cut a semi-trade deal. It was kind of the mini version of what Trump really wanted, but it was pretty clear within a month of that, and, and Trump himself came to to believe this and and felt um, sold out by Xi, yeah. the Chinese abided by about I don't know none of that agreement, and the same thing happened to Obama. Same thing happened to George W. Bush. We could keep going. So you know it looks on paper. You know when Joe Biden came out and said they had some kind of agreement to slow the flow of fentanyl uh, into the U.S. That they had agreed to restart uh, military to military communications, and 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 other things that this had been a pretty successful summit for president Biden, but, but is president Xi prepared to follow through on any of that? You never know. And it'll just take time to play out. Now, does it help that Biden instead, you know, he says, that's the last question. He takes one more and then he takes four more questions off mic. And he's asked by a CNN reporter, 
if he still thinks President Xi, as he said a few months ago, is a dictator, and uh, President Biden says, of course he is, or yes, he is. And if you look closely, and people can find this uh, on social media, uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was sitting in the front row, and well, he cringed, and clearly he knew it was coming as he heard the question. He knew what the boss was about to say, and then the boss said it. So does that help? I, you know, I don't know. At, at first, you know, we were texting Brian. My reaction was, you know, why do you say that at the time? You need this guy to follow. You need she to follow right. through. Why would you call him a dictator? But, you know, let it let it breathe, slept on it. And, you know, by the next day, I was thinking, well, she probably knows how Biden feels. Well, about, he's made that. Yeah, yeah. I think and he right said it clear. Yeah. And, yeah. and he knows how he, he feels about how Biden feels about the human rights, the economic conditions, the poverty levels in parts of China. You know, he we know that they talked about military uh, activity, you know, in the South China Sea and, and China does all kinds of, of things that we would say are nefarious or, you know, pushing the limits. Provocative. Yeah, provocative things. So, you know, she knows how Biden feels. It wasn't Biden's finest moment, but on the other hand, he was being pretty transparent about how he feels. And I think that to your point, um, you know, with other presidents, she has said, or China has said one thing and done another. One mm-hmm. of the things that stuck with me was that when Biden was on that uh, dais and he was he was speaking from the podium, and eh, podium dais stage, wh- when he was up there. He, lectern. Yeah, the lectern. <laughs> what other terms can we come up? Uh, Bastard was on stage. So while he's up there, one of the things that he said was uh, she, he's known him for a while and he's always dealt straight with him. So he he does trust what she says um i i don't know that's the public face i you know trust and then he 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 invoked the old ronald reagan thing trust but verify so i i don't think he's going into it um wishfully thinking that that china is going to do everything that he wants i think he's going it with eyes wide open so his statement at the end about him still being a dictator he's you know he knows what he's dealing with. And I, yeah. and, and I think that that's what that came across to me. Michael? Well, what I thought was interesting was Biden's comment that he said something to the effect of his responsibility is to make sure this relationship is rational, manageable, and doesn't result in conflict. Right. And what I thought was, leave aside this dictator thing, which everybody seems to be you know, sort of focused on uh, because it's easy to, yeah. to do this, like Gerald Ford falling down the steps um, or saying Poland is not under the Iron Curtain. It's the easy stuff that they they focus on. But what I thought was interesting in this time of is Biden too old to be president stuff is that he looked presidential. I mean, he engaged in um bilateral conversation with the second most important, first most important, third most important, doesn't make a difference, one, one of the top three yeah. world leaders. He's an important and, guy. And, and there was substance to it. And that's good. I think that's good for, for the world that you've got two rational actors engaged in substantive conversations about important uh, about an important relationship and i think 
he, I think he behaved better in his time with uh, the Chinese um, president than Trump did. And I think that's important. I don't know how it will play out. It's not really going to be an election issue, but just seeing him out there acting that way, whether this was highly choreographed or not, they're all highly choreographed. Yeah. But um, the two of them looked, both looked like substantive people in charge of important countries discussing significant issues that affect uh, all of us. So, you know, good for them. And if this if, if this if this gets the situation, the relationship closer to China being willing to pick up the hotline, um, yeah. which they would not do when the, the infamous spy balloon was making its way across U.S. territory. Uh, the Biden administration was uh, dialing the hotline and uh, it was just ringing There's and ringing. There's nobody there. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody if, you know, home. So, they're, you know, they're even in a balloon. If, yeah. Even, even if she doesn't live up to, you know, everything they wrote down and agreed on and but he picked but his people pick up the hotline next time something happens it was it was a success just for that because miscalculation has always been the risk in that region especially because we have so many ships and submarines and floating around and they do too doing all sorts of things yeah i am reminding everyone i keep seeing all these damn articles about what would happen if a nuclear bomb fell yeah it's called nuclear winter and we all die but, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know why we have those anymore. Just go and see 1983's The Day After, and, and that'll tell you exactly what happened, you know, what will happen. But to that point about miscommunications, we damn near went to nuclear war with Russia in the, in the early 80s because we got false uh, positives on computers at NORAD saying that there were inbound, you know, uh, missiles from in, from Russia. That ended up also being played into a uh, a movie called uh, whatever it was with Matthew Broderick. But I mean that that you know, uh, war games that that's the problem. That's why you need the and so any. Well, I thought it was Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, well, that was the '60s, and that's the same same movie, <laughs> different guy. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, anytime when two company uh, countries are at least uh, companies, two countries are at least talking at the highest military level, I think that's a that's a success for everyone. With that said, let, let's end today. I've got two letters. One is from uh, Vir, uh, Virginia Danica. Uh, I know it's not Danica Rome, but maybe a Danica Rome fan. Um, uh, it, and we'll ask this of of each of you. Uh, how do you think the war in Gaza ends? Who wants to I don't think that? it. I, I don't think it. I don't know that it does end. It presupposes that it ends. I mean, this may be. It's yeah. been going on for two thousand years. It's got to end soon. It, it, it may be a perpetual uh, conflict, but you know the obvious answer is that you need a two-state solution, and you need to have a sincere effort to rebuild Gaza. We've talked about this in the uh, Marshall Plan conversations that we've had in the past, and there has to be some way in which. The two territories are uh, ruled by one political organization so that you are talking to either the Palestinian Authority um, or whomever. Uh, but it, it, the way it's bifurcated now, it's, it's, there's no achievable uh, solution. So I don't know. The answer to the question is 
a two-state solution, rebuilding uh, economic opportunity in, in, in Gaza to give people uh, hope and, and an investment in, in their future, because they surely don't have that now. John? How do you think it, it is? It needs to be an effort among probably, um, not probably, among the Arab states to identify a young, educated, charismatic Palestinian who can become the next leader of the Palestinian people with the potential of securing that two-state solution and then um, uh, governing the Palestinian people um, and having real elections in four or six years after that. And there to be some accountability and 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 you know things that that democracies have and also um the war doesn't end until you know mr netanyahu has signaled uh his exit from the stage of leadership uh that it that those are just basic i think building blocks uh to starting to bring it to an end i don't know who that palestinian individual uh is but they you know there there are a lot of, of very very intelligent um, educated folks uh, from that part of the world. There has to be someone, and it's time for the for the other Arab leaders to to finally step up and, and help find that person. I, I think it ends with the, I don't want to say eradication and elimination, but the neutralization of Hamas as a that's when it when I think well yeah sure. signal yeah. the and I think without a Marshall plan for rebuilding, as Michael said, it would be um, I, I don't think you're going to end it. And I think the biggest fear that we have going forward is this, um, or the biggest concern we have going forward, is that um, today's strife will uh, help build tomorrow's terrorist. So you've got to ameliorate that concern with uh, a Marshall Plan education and a, and a lifestyle that people, when, when people are worried about getting their kids to soccer practice, uh, and and you know making sure that they get all the 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 jobs done in the day and et cetera so on, they're less likely to want to uh, engage in this type of warfare. And even even those who are, in, I mean, they're they're limited in their number. Fifty thousand Hamas fighters versus two million. Yeah, it's got to make it a better world for them to live in those two million and give them some hope. And so and other, the and the tunnel system under Gaza has it has to go. It has to be. I filled well, I think in with the Marines are taking care of that, yeah, but it has to be filled in with concrete rebar or whatever else yeah. you can think of that, that can no, that cannot exist any longer uh, for this to, to come to, to, to some kind of end. Yeah. And a two state solution as Michael said. So let's go with the second question from TJ Peel 83. Does the U S democracy still exist or has Trump destroyed it? Michael, I'll let you have the first whack at that one. Well, I think it still exists. I think that a second Trump term may end it, um, but I think it's still uh, fighting back against authoritarianism. I think that there are signs that um, it, it, it will survive, but I do worry when, as we talked about, when uh, the major candidate for the Republicans is giving speeches, quoting Adolf Hitler and talking about rounding up his opponents 
if that comes to pass, then I think the answer to the question is uh, likely, likely not. Well, at least, that... at least during that, at least during his tenure in in office, and maybe, you know, it's like everything else has unintended consequences. Maybe after that, if we are still around, we you know have learned a lesson. You know, Germany turned the page, yeah, and and they've they've been um, pretty forceful in preventing the rise of um, neo Nazis although it's slipping a little bit lately. Um, and it took that for them to, you know, sort of purge themselves of that societal evil. So, you know, maybe we follow that footsteps after that calamity, but goodness knows nobody wants to have to go that route. John. Yeah, I agree with uh, with my, Michael's words there. Uh, I mean, look back at, was that just last Tuesday or a couple Tuesdays ago, the election results? Um, you know, there are still plenty of elections uh, that will surprise you. Um, Kentucky governor for Mr. Bashir, Governor Bashir winning a second term. He's a Democrat and deep red Kentucky. So, yeah, the system is still in place. Um, the first Trump term and and the election challenging uh, even January 6th, trying to stop the the, the count of the electoral votes uh, in Congress. Those were all stress tests, just like the first term. Uh, and if But if Trump goes back in, as Michael said, I can't really put it any better than that, um, then it'll be it, it, it'll be the mother of all stress tests. And, you know, that's why the important is that's why the election is uh, is so important. I, I think we've been undergoing a stress test since Donald Trump walked into the public arena. I don't think it'll end until he uh, puts his sword down and shuffles off into uh, or shuffles off his mortal coil and uh, goes off into the dim distance where memories fade. And once uh, Donald Trump is a dim memory, then we have a shot. Until then, I think that we're constantly under, a, as you say, a stress test. And I, I would also say that at, at the end of the day, I do have I, I do still have hope Um and as you pointed out, John, the, the recent election gives me hope, but you can't do it without showing up to vote and you can't do it without having faith in that system. So it's got to be secure. The next election will not only have to be secure, but it will have to be um, able to take the stress that Donald Trump's going to throw at it. And the best way to make sure that Donald Trump can't throw much at it is to defeat him soundly. Uh, and that's the challenge, I think, is to make sure that it's a statement that says, screw you, Donnie. Um, and if it's closer than that, then we're going to listen to this asshole until he's dead. Yeah, well, you have Trump and you have Trumpism. So, you know, there is yeah. a Pandora, Pandora's right. box of what has been opened independent of one particular human being. Yes. But, you know, in 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 1856, um you were there, Brian, I think. In 1856, yeah. <laughs> um, pro I, I was young. I was in my teens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was making moonshine. <laughs> but remember, this is, this is an important fact in history. In, in 1856, um, pro-slavery Democrat um, Preston, somebody, Preston Brooks, um, nearly killed um, Charles Sumner of, of Massachusetts, anti-slavery, on the floor of the Senate with his walking stick yeah and 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 you know just a few years later we're in the civil war and so when i was watching 
Mark Wayne Mullen threaten. I think like, oh my God, are we, you know, is this um, Brooks versus Sumner all yeah. over again? And and does that portend? And then if you lead into a second Trump presidency, is this, you know, sort of like history repeating itself? You've got senators beating each other <laughs> up or beating up witnesses. And then the next thing you know, you got Trump. And then the next thing you know, you've got civil war. And, yeah, you know. But- the difference this time was that we had a Bernie Sanders there. He said, sit down. You're a U.S. senator. Mind your manners. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. The, yeah. So, so the great hope. So anyway, now that we've solved all the, the world's evils uh, and ills, John, where can we catch you? Uh, this week, you can catch me at uh, rollcall.com, a uh, weekly column coming out Wednesday morning. And Michael? I am, as you know, I appear on on TV. I was on MSNBC this morning at nine with the great Katie Fang, and I'm hoping that I'm not canceled from my hit with Jim Acosta this Sunday evening. So I do that still periodically, but principally, I can be found on my podcast, That Said with Michael Zeldin. As you know, it's a book-based podcast because we discussed your great book. I've got coming up, Um, Next week, I think uh, uh, an interesting book called Chaplin versus the United States, and it's about how the United States targeted Charlie Chaplin for what they perceived as his pro-communist sympathies, completely fabricated by J. Edgar Hoover and um, Ed Sullivan and some others. Um, And then I think uh, right around the new year, we'll be talking to Brian Stelter about his new book about uh, Fox Nation. So good stuff uh, on the horizon. And the name of this broadcast is Just Ask the Question. Again, thanks to a good podcast. We're one of the top 30 now. So keep it coming. Keep it going. Uh, You can also read the book. It's called Free the Press, wherever fine books are sold. And this podcast, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And the name of the column while I write every week in Salon covering the White House in D.C. And you can read that on Thursdays. So once again, thanks for joining us. The name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question and our weekly uh, Week in Review, Just Ask the Press. I am your host, Brian Karam. We will catch you next time.